Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Uh, We are in our, I think, 22nd or 23rd year here on Voice America, and this program is dedicated to helping people turn their obstacles into opportunities and their problems into solutions and make their dreams come true. And today I have on one of my favorite all-time guests who I've had on for many years, quarterly, and she has amazing inspirational tips for us as well as very practical tips. And we're talking about Really, we're actually talking about civility and kindness and productivity and teamwork in the business world and in the big business world. I'm talking to Paula Marshall, who is the chairman and CEO of Bama Companies. And she joined Bama in 1970. So this is a family-owned business that started on her grandmother's kitchen table in 1937. They um, And what they do is Bama Companies is responsible um, now for Bama Pie, Bama Foods, Bama Frozen Dough, Beijing Bama, and Bama Europa. And under her leadership, Bama has expanded to provide a wide variety of frozen desserts and baked goods to fast food chains and casual and family dining restaurants. And Paul is the author of five books. Um, my favorites are The Executive Entrepreneur that she wrote with uh, Jim Coble. And the other favorite of mine is Finding the Soul, S-O-U-L, of Big Business, which I think is really, really kind of the hallmark of what Paula does, is really finding the soul of big business so people can work together in teams. And another thing I want to share, which I think is amazing, is that uh, last year, or maybe it was 2021, she received the Hall of Fame recognition from the Hall of Fame in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or in the, for the state of Oklahoma. She was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Welcome back, Paula. Thank you, Patricia. Very happy to be here today. Yeah, it's always so great to have you on, on the program. And, you know, since you have really expanded this company, the company has increased in revenues from 30 million to 350 million over these years. So obviously you're doing something right, not just with the product, but also with the people. And I guess, you know, my first question is, you might have a great product, but if you don't treat your people well, how do you think that affects the bottom line and affects your customers? I mean, let's say the product, it's really great. Everybody loves it and they're buying it, but the internal structure is very weak in terms of people skills. What do, you, what do you say about that? Or I'm sure you've seen that. Yes. Well, you know, we talk about this a lot. And it's part of, you know, my philosophy has been, I mean, I think ever since you know, you've known me, is to be a people-centric, people and customer-centric organization. And I learned all those skills from my mentor, Dr. W. Edward Deming, and also Stephen Covey, who wrote the book about you know, relationships and how to become a successful person just in general. And I think these concepts have not been applied very meticulously across the business sectors because I speak at a lot of events every year and I constantly run into people that are miserable and happy, disengaged. I think the recent survey uh, that I read 
that was done by a group that does a lot of surveying of companies about engagement, their team member engagement is something like 75% of all team members that work at companies across America are disengaged. So if you take that premise, yeah, I mean, if you take that premise and you apply it, let's say, to the the customer service, just mm-hmm. as, you know, let's say a logical step would be, what would you consider their, um, just thinking about it with, with a 75% disengaged workforce, how good do you think the relationship is between the customer and these organizations? Mm-hmm. Well, it's very poor. Um, you know, most customers rate doing business with 80% of America's m- biggest retail chains as not not very satisfactory. You know, yeah. the customers are, of course, disengaged. But so as, I guess the question is, how far does the product take you alone, Paula, even if it's a fabulous product? It, it tends to follow a fabulous product, a fabulous experience by your customers tends to follow the custom, the company culture. So the more disengaged your workforce is, the worse your uh, customers will view you out in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and I I think also I I want to extend this to talking about, you know, we're in post-COVID now, but for three years, people were in lockdown. Now, I know your company is more business to business, so it's not directly interfacing with external customers, right? The people who buy the apple pies at McDonald's, they don't necessarily talk with you, but still, you know, um, you still, you've been working with your own internal customers during this time. And have you seen changes in sort of behavior and attitude like during COVID and then post COVID in terms of, you know, people have been discouraged at times. Now I know a lot of your people are working on site. So a lot of your roles cannot be remote as many people were. But right. what do you think, Paula? Well, <clears throat> the latest surveys are are, you know, it in, in indicates that there's still a stifling of the employment market going on out there. So when you dig in and you try to say, you know, these younger generations, they are more sort of raised as latchkey kids for the most part. Don't mean that as a broad generalization, but as the most part, their parents were both working and they were probably one of the first generations to arrive home after school and no one's there. So they're kind of self-policing and they they start to depend on the, um, you know, the computers and gaming and friends that they have and that they make over these games mm-hmm. is literally how they have relationships. Yeah. And so when you see them in the workforce, no wonder they don't want to come back to a workplace and have all those problems they were having before with their coworkers or they were getting in trouble for not, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, good enough to, you know, in their relationships or they weren't working as a team or all those things that people were kind of getting, you know, bad grades, if you will. Well, they don't want to come back and start getting those bad grades again. So they just prefer to work online. 
So what we're seeing in in manufacturing is a complete shortage. I mean, just a shortage of workers, people that, and what we're seeing is not, not the typical Gen Z's. We're seeing more of the 40 to 55 year olds that actually do want to come back into the workforce who have maybe late teens at home, or Mm -hmm. maybe their kids have gone to college already. You don't see a lot of the young working moms like you used to, partly because the school systems are up and down. And I think there's a lot of worry that that working moms and dads have about what's happening to their kids at school, what's going on. Mm -hmm. So they're preoccupied. So a lot of them are choosing to want to work online. So they're either looking for full-time online jobs or part-time, what we're calling now the hybrid workforce. So we're starting to see that show up a lot. Well, and also, Paula, it's not just manufacturing or food manufacturing. It's nursing. CNA, yes. it's administrators in healthcare. I mean, it's so hard to find people. And, um, you know, and it, as you said, it could be partially that people have been used to working remote. Maybe they're afraid to come back to the workplace, that they might catch something. I mean, it's, it's very different. And there is more freedom in working from home, but it has its drawbacks as well. And in your business, most people aren't working at home, right? Because they're on the line um, helping to create the food. Yes. And that's, that's, that's the part that we're struggling with right now. We're starting to see every month, a few more people coming in, a few more people coming in. I think that, you know, many of the, you know, the government money that's there that was there for them is drying up and run out. So we're starting to see more people come in and make applications. Now let's go to the other part. What's happened to them during the COVID pandemic is people got into taking some, you know, substances while they were off. And now you've got people failing drug tests. You've got people failing uh, our, we have a pre-employment physical test now that you have to pass. So you have to be able to lift certain things, lift certain amounts, do repetitive jobs. And they're failing those because, if you've been sedentary and you have to come to a workplace and it's a little bit cold it's you have to stand on your feet all day and you have to move your arms up and down. Um, there's a lot of people that can't do that now. Mm-hmm. So that's been something else that's pretty striking for us that we're seeing is, is the inability of people to do basic tasks. Mm. So Paula, what has been, what have you, what's been the remedy for that or what, what has what do you see as the remedy or what do you feel has worked um, with that issue? Well, what has worked to get more applicants into the door, obviously, is we've taken up a lot of our salary packages, mm-hmm. a lot of our pay programs, a lot of our shift differentials. Uh, you know, we have to we have to pay market, but even market now, you're not necessarily getting people in the door. So we're getting people in the door by increasing the pay rates. That's number one. And number two is we have to really be mindful of how we're treating each other once someone new comes into the building. So if people, if they were trying to get the applicants before we actually hire them a trip down onto the floor, 
to stand by the line, to talk with some of the people that have been doing that job for a long time and to actually let them see it and to let them feel the temperatures and to let them try to do it for five minutes. And of course, we're having some legal issues trying to do that, you know, through we're working with our people systems group to try to get as much experience to the people of the experience of what it's going to be like, get that to the people before they actually accept the job. And then from there, we can take that and say, okay, this is something you want to do for eight to nine to 10 hours a day. So it's more pre-screening. You're doing more on the Yes. Yes. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think this is shifting in every industry, but it is amazing. And, And the other thing you said about the people factor, you know, I think that it wasn't as critical as it is today, particularly with younger people who, you know, I think a lot of our older generations sometimes withstood I guess I'd say verbal abuse or treatment that wasn't fair. But uh, what I'm seeing and what I've been reading is that the younger generation isn't doing that. They're not going to work for a place that doesn't uh, give them personal care, if you will, or or um, respect who they are. Are you finding that too? Yes. Yes. They're, they're, you know, I think because of the market and because of how um, – Literally, people can go anywhere and get a job on any day, Mm. probably making anywhere from like Amazon is here. Now, I will tell you, Amazon has a terrible reputation for treating people badly. So I'll just say that because here in this market in Tulsa, it's true. You can look at their glass door, uh, you know, the comments, et cetera, and see that people only work there as little amount of time as they possibly can. Now, they can walk into an Amazon job with no education and no drug screening and get a job for $18 an hour and benefits. That's pretty good. And they also waive the benefits so they don't even have to wait for a period till their benefits start. Mm. They still are having upwards of 400% turnover. Wow. Now, why is that? Because the treatment of the people, Patricia, the lack of respect the lack of uh, just in general and the amount of work, how hard the work is and and how respected and uh, accepted they are is a problem for people. And that's what they write on Glassdoor. You'll see their comments be anywhere from I was treated like a number. My supervisor was mean to me. My supervisor is robotic with me. My... uh, Supervisor yells at me, you know, I'm treated like a number, not a person. So you see these comments coming across from all these different companies. Google is here. Greenheck is here. There's a lot of companies here and you can look and you can see. So it sounds like it might be easier entry, right? I mean, you're getting the door easier, uh, but you have to withstand more. There's no free ride. Yes. No, no free rides. Yeah. Yeah. And as as you said, I mean, uh, the people factor is really important. We're going to talk about that next. We're going to talk about the people factor. And then I'm going to ask a question about being in a family business, because I have a a situation I want to ask you about and get your opinion in terms of, you know, people in family businesses and how that works. Sometimes it really works well, sometimes it doesn't. So we're going to talk about 
uh, the ingredients for that, if you will. All right. I'm talking to Paula A. Marshall, and she is the CEO of Bama Companies. And they make uh, a lot of the apple pies and fast food desserts for Walmart, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, many of the fast food chains, and have been around since the company started on her grandmother's kitchen table in 1937. And her father had the business, and then she took over the business in 1970, and uh, has really grown the business from $30 million to $350 million. I'm going to talk more about that success and about people and finding the soul, S-O-U-L, of big business right after the break. Stay tuned. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod, examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show Hi, everyone. We are back. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. My guest is Paula Marshall. She is the chairman CEO of Bama Industries, and they make a lot of the fast food desserts for Walmart, for McDonald's, for Pizza Hut, for other uh, fast food chains and casual and family dining restaurants. 
uh, company started on a grandmother's kitchen table in 1937. Her father then took over the company, and she took over the company in 1970, and has grown it from $35 million to $350 million. And Paula is really, to me, the consummate um, person behind the title of her book, which is Finding the Soul, S-O-U-L, of Big Business. So welcome back, Paula. Thank you very much, Patricia. I, I have to tell, actually, I have to tell you something on air. This is so interesting. This morning, I did a web, uh, an in-person seminar um, here in New England, and it was for um, a school system. And the whole web, the whole workshop was about um, nonverbal communication, how you present yourself without talking. It's all that nonverbal. So I yes. have to tell the story. You've heard this before. I said, well, I'm going to tell you the story of Paula Marshall, my dear friend who owns Bama Companies. And I said to them, when I was in Tulsa, I was talking to Matt, your assistant, and I said, I'd like to see Paula's office. And he said, sure, it's right over there. And I'm looking around and I don't see an office. And I said, Matt, where is it? And he says, it's there. I said, wait a minute. And I look, and there's this beautiful room that doesn't look like an office. It has chairs and couches and a computer in the middle, and it's comfortable, <laughs> and pillows, and, you know, there's a desk on the side and family pictures. And I went, that's Paula. That, to me, is a nonverbal behavior of you didn't sit behind a desk with your people. You sit next to them. You're like a, like a team. It was, you don't see that very often, Paula, so I had to right. talk Right. I mean, I talk about this a lot with my folks is, you know, when somebody gives you the title of manager, all of a sudden you think you need a big old desk and a chair <laughs> on one side, you know, so you can be superior. And and then you just call everyone in there and then you scare them by making them sit behind the desk, you know, or sit, sit at the desk, if you will. I know. I know. And it's so, so true. I think it's I think it's just a, it's an ego thing, to be honest. That That's what I what I have concluded after all these years. And it really is. I mean, it's very inviting because what the atmosphere says is we want you to sit. We want you here. I mean, you look in there and you go, Oh, I'd love to sit in there. I'd love to sit. You know, it's a totally different feel from when you walk into an office and it's like, Oh, I'm going to be asked a lot of questions. Right. I mean, <laughs> completely different feel. Yeah, it's good. More people should do this. So, let me, I want to go to this subject because this is something a friend of mine just told me. She is a business coach. She has all the certifications and she does a lot of business coaching for CEOs and, and people who are running companies. And she was telling me the story. And I said, I've got to ask Paul about this. So she has a client who is part of a family business and the family is trying to push her out. They're not including her in meetings. They're, they're just doing little things. And she's miserable. And she's in therapy over this. And so I said to my, to my colleague, I said, well, maybe she should think about getting out. And she said to me, I can't tell her that. It's got to be her call. But I'm sure you've seen other family businesses where you've run across this. So talk to us about the dynamics of family business. I know you've had positive okay. dynamics. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's, I, my family was probably no different than many others. And when I first started working here, it was primarily dominated by my father, my mother, my brother. They were the major, major actors in this, in this play down here, because there's a large age difference between me and my, and my, and my brothers and the rest of my siblings. So, um, I think, 
the patterns had been established. You know, dad does the market, deals with McDonald's, makes all the decisions, and the rest of us just hang out. So, <laughs> so you know, that waiting for dad to tell us what to do. So I think if in a, what I have worked many, many years on, and because I've been fortunate to be around a lot of family business owners and a lot of generational people, and I've gone to family business planning seminars, and I've tried to educate myself on, you know, what are the biggest problems? Mm. And it's usually passing between what I found is the second generation starts to get a little more wobbly. The third generation is maybe the wobbliest and might oversee some reduction of the business, might sell some pieces off, might not have passion for it, might not love it. And so by the fourth, if if the business has grown in this in the second to third generation, which most of the time it has, the third generation will begin looking at that fourth generation. And they'll see a lot of generational players that don't like the business are getting checks and coupons and not really participating. And the customers are starting to not see owners. The customer, the team members are starting to not see owners and the business lose much of its feel being family. And many times at the passing of the third generation, the fourth generation will sell the company to an outside, to an outside company. And that's where we see a lot of, you know, the generations get monetized why, that's why do you feel that didn't happen? What? Why do you feel in your family you took the helm and you've made it succeed? Because that could have happened and it didn't. Yes. Yeah, so well, I was very, I was still very close with my parents, even though they were much older than when my brothers were were uh, working with them. And I think maybe they kind of changed their appetite for selling the company that that would be an option. I think they really determined that they wanted to keep the business and they in you know enacted that out with me and saying, you know, we're not really up for a sale of the business unless it's something that you don't want to do anymore. And my mom used to keep saying to me, if you ever get tired of doing this, just let me know. We'll sell the company. And I kept saying, why would I be tired of doing this? I love this. Hmm. So I think they were kind of used to my brothers, maybe. I don't mean that to be rude, but I think they were used to my brothers maybe not being as uh, interested or involved as they would have liked them to be. Uh, my brothers were part of like that, what I would call the third generation that's starting to get ants in their pants and wanting their money and quote unquote, you know, I just want to get cashed out and that type of thing. So the business becomes, instead of being a direct involvement, and I think my parents drove that, for me was we want you directly involved. We want you working directly with the customers. We want you with McDonald's. We want you with Pizza Hut. We want you with those customers. And we don't want you to be an absentee owner. Okay. So they encouraged you. You were encouraged. Yes. Yes. In fact, directed, I would say, more so than encouraged. <laughs> directed. Hmm. We're, not, we're not selling. Right. Now, have you talked to other family businesses where that wasn't the case, where they thought of selling or there was a strife between family members? Oh, well, yes. I mean, obviously, a business being in the middle of a parent or a family structure tends to create all kinds of issues. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Number one, family favoritism. You know, the one who gets to run the business. Oh, you like them more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how you share the, the pot. So many, many family businesses don't get big enough to even have assets, you know, other than hard assets. Yes. So when everyone starts griping and getting grumpy about, you know, well, you like that sibling more than me. Why don't you pay me off and let me get out so that that kid can run the company? There's no money to do that. So the strife just builds and builds and builds. It's like, you know, a pot of stew that has a sour, you know, sour carrot in it or sour potato. It spoils it for the rest of it. So people start getting very upset with the situation that they can't leave and they can't stay. So I think when people don't have choices to get out and to be monetized, they get very, very upset. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as I'm listening to you, though, in your case, you really loved it. I mean, you loved the work and the business. And that's the key, right? I mean, that's the key. You didn't say, no, I want to cash out and travel around the world. You said, no, I re- and, you st- and you do travel in your work. But I mean, you definitely cared about the work and you love the people. And I think that makes the difference. It does, Patricia. I mean, that's why my parents said, no selling and you're going to work. So I was never one of those kids that could sit back and watch your parents pump oil or build a supply, you know, supply pipeline company or I, we didn't have the money. My parents were like, if you do not work, you cannot eat. So therefore everyone's going to work. So I grew up working in the facility, working in the plant alongside of these folks who were trying to get these orders out every day, trying to, and I got to see firsthand for myself, all the problems that can, can come up in manufacturing company. And also all the, all the problems that if you're sitting up in an ivory tower somewhere, you don't get a chance to see that either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I really think what was great for me was that my parents instilled a humbleness and a work ethic and, Mm -hmm. I have no problem getting down on the floor and hanging out with my team teams that are hourly workers, but they're the ones getting the job done every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I bet, I bet if it really came to it and some, and somebody was out and you were in the, in the office and you had to help with that job, I bet you would do it, Paula. Oh, absolutely. Um, I can send you a picture of where I was in Wales last week. <laughs> I was on my plant floor, bucketing water out of a um, a big tank that we had that had, that had broken down, and I was down there, grabbed a bucket, and I was I was gra- I was bailing water just like everybody else. Wow! Mm. And now you have plants where you have plants um, in. Uh, we have four facilities in China actually that we own twenty five percent of. Mm-hmm. We have. A plant in Poland, uh, two plants in the UK, and four plants here in the United States. Yeah. Amazing. amazing. (laughs) Truly, truly. Um, So we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, but I think um, I want to ask you a little bit about your book um, because you wrote this a while ago, but all these principles are so current. And it's called Finding the Soul of Big Business. And in it, you, you know, you really, really talk about 
vision and purpose, which we hear all the time. And so um, what would you say, you know, if, if somebody were to say to you, you know, Paula, I want to pick up your book, Finding the Soul of Big Business. Um, what would you say about it in terms of what your message is of this book, which I think is the message of your company, but what would you say is the message of your book? Well, what I what I've tried to do is put down my philosophy in as short a form as I possibly could and why my philosophy is the one that Dr. Deming taught me that I've molded and made my own, but it's it, it's because I believe in that system of working and the way that systems work and that the way we have set up companies today is just ass backwards. Mm-hmm. And so uh, trying to tell that to an audience, though, what I've learned over the years is I tried to go out and do book tours, Patricia, and I know how hard it is, but also the CEOs who are pulling down $80 million a year, mm-hmm. like Jeff Bezos and, and uh, you know, Ellison and, and those guys, they don't want to hear what I have to say because to give up their half of their 80 million so the other 40 million could go back into the company to help raise up everyone else is not what they want to hear. Mm. But I'm, I'm a true believer in $80 million is too much money to pay one person. Mm-hmm. It just puts the whole company out of balance and creates a lot of problematic team member irritation mm-hmm. that you know also contributes to the lack of engagement. Because if people don't think that those team members can see what's happening in those companies, that they're crazy. They're public companies. They can see. They can go to mm-hmm. the stock market and look it up and see how much their CEO is being paid. Mm-hmm. And they look at how hard it is it made for them to scrape out, you know, right. the money. Right. It creates a, a lot of disengagement and a lot of right. disengagement. And I want to say this for the listeners, because we're not talking here about being a socialist, right? That's not what we're talking. No. We're talking no. about just equity and being fair. Yes, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm advocating cap yourself. You know, if you're a CEO and you go before the board, you also understand that you're not worth $80 million, okay? Everyone knows that. that that's just insane. So I've been on a couple of boards where the CEOs say, my salary should be capped at X. Mm-hmm. I should make more than mm-hmm. seven or 10 million mm-hmm. when my guys on the floor only make $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we look at that kind of information often because it's important to me that I not get outside of the norms of flat kinds of organizations. Well, it's also part of giving back to Paula. Right. right. You know, giving back because there's right. some need. So much need. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk more to Paula about finding the soul of big business and what she would say to people. And I've asked her this before in past interviews who, you know, are among that 75% that aren't happy. What her advice would be to you without all of a sudden just saying, I quit. 
Right. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. America's Voice. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. All who live face a time of passing. Is death the end, or will souls enter an afterlife? Have you ever wondered about historical figures and what they would say if they were alive today? Psychics and authors Barry and Connie Strom will use their gift of spirit communication to answer questions and channel spirits concerning the hereafter. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife, with Barry and Connie Strom at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It is time to change the negative narrative of divorce. Families are hungry for a different option. Listen to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. You will discover how to function as one family living in two homes. There are high-functioning, stable, and happy divorce families living in your neighborhood. What's their secret sauce? What did their journey look like? Do they have regrets or recommendations? Let's find out. It's never too late to have a good divorce. The Good Divorce Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com are listening to the Patricia Raskin show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin show. Hi everyone and we are back. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living show right here on voiceamerica.com America's Voice. My guest today is Paula A. Marshall. She is the chairman and CEO of Bama Industries. They make a lot of the fast foods and apple pies, which is how they started, for McDonald's and Walmart and Pizza Hut. And they have plants all over the world. They've grown from $35 million to $350 million since Paula took the helm in 1970. And this is a family-owned business. Started on her grandmother's kitchen table in 1937. Uh, also, Paula was recently inducted in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. So welcome back, Paula. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. I got to ask you this question because, you know, as as you said in the beginning, there are 75% of the people out there that aren't happy in their job. So right. what do they do? Now, I'm going to set this up, right? They have a family. The family is depending on their income. You know, they're not going to be able to pay their bills if they don't have income and, and food on the table. You know, but they're really unhappy. What's your advice? Well, <laughs> no, it's not easy. No, it's this is a terrible, it's a terrible thing for me to for me to say. 
Um, but I say start looking for another job today <laughs> because you, you, you analyze the reasons why you're unhappy. And that is, you know, absolutely the number one reason people are unhappy or dissatisfied at work or disengaged, to be honest, mm-hmm. is because they're not respected, treated well, they have issues with pay, uh, the, the pay for the compensation, you know, the compensation they're getting for the actual job is not, mm-hmm. it doesn't add up for them. Mm-hmm. The second most important reason people are dissatisfied today in the workplace is that they have no passion. So if you don't have a passion for yeah. what you do, then you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to love it. You're going to yeah. be it's drudgery. So I always ask people to step back when they're in a place of unhappiness and try to understand from their life mission, their purpose, what were you sent to the planet to do? What, what, what do you think your ordained uh, reason for being in the world is? And when that comes clear to you, then you can pursue a occupation or some kind of occupation that will fill that passion mm-hmm. because as I've worked with a lot of people, I like that, you know, I like their job to be what their passion is. So their job becomes more of a career mm-hmm. and a life plan, you know, so the two, the career and the life merge, you know, at probably somewhere between your twenties and thirties, you start figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And what if I have that attitude like, well, I've been here a long time, I'm going to lose my retirement or my 401k, and I'm afraid to leave. What if I don't like the next job? What do you, I'm sure you've heard all this. So what do you say to that? Well, I, you know, I say, do you want to look something that I learned from Stephen Covey? Do you want to wake up, you know, in your late years, uh, possibly on your deathbed? And look around and see who's there. See who's there. And the people that are there are the ones who truly love you. And if you don't see anybody from your work there, if you don't see your boss there, then you need to sit back and say, okay, am I really taking myself to a place in life where I'm working my passion? I'm working with people that I care about. I'm working with people who are going to help me when I get older and that type of thing. And that's the kind of relationships that we're trying to create here at Bama is long lasting relationships that help people when they have problems that reach out. I mean, you know, a lot of our stories, Patricia, you know, you know, when there's a fire in someone's house, when there's a death, I mean, you've heard them, you come here, you've heard them, you know, what oh, people. I remember you had competitor. a competitor who did the same kind of thing that you do with food service in another state that had a fire or a storm or something, and you went and helped them. Your whole company did. Yes. Yes. And that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, folks who work here, I've got 120 people uh, in this company, this U.S. company of, let's say, 800 people. That that's a, that's a pretty big percentage that have been at Bama over 20 years. That's our circle of excellence. That's our. That's something that's very important to us. I know. And I was over in Wales and in Northern Ireland talking about this with our teams over there. And people just look at me like, you know, what planet did you come off of? It's, this is too good to be true. Yeah. And I, I say, 
maybe, maybe not. I said, but what I really want you guys to know is that we we try to keep you here because it's more expensive. It's it's very selfish, but it's more expensive for me to be constantly recruiting, constantly training, and constantly hoping that the people that just stepped in to take your place. So if you're a tenure person and you're leaving, how do I how do I train someone to take yeah. your place? It's it's extremely difficult. Yeah. And more expensive, as you said. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. So what we're really talking about here is risk-taking. People have to just say, look, like you said, uh, what do I want to, do I want to be miserable for another 10 years and get my 401k, right? Or do I want to really branch out and see what I can do that will bring me some purpose and joy? That's, and that's, really what you're that's and you may have to make some financial sacrifices for a period of time, Patricia. But yeah. how many Wall Street guys that have been on Wall Street and making bukus of money, and they just all of a sudden one day they just can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. They just can't do it anymore, and they and they quit, and they go teach school, they go coach a, a team, they go become priests, they become, you know, ministers, they uh, work in, you know, in big, um, you know, basically, you know, areas where they can help other people. I mean, it's 99% of the people that are not impassioned are because they want to do something to help other people. So we just don't make people sit around and do pies and dough and all that kind of stuff all day. We offer all kinds of volunteer opportunities. We have a, a organization we're very passionate about called Food on the Move. We teach people how to garden, how to make, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, use an aquaponic garden and, and uh, you know, learn and, and grow their own food. Because it's important to me that my folks know where the food comes from. Yeah. You know, you don't just go down to the grocery store and buy a truckload of cherries that's what a lot of my team members think happens is that we just go buy we go to some grocery store and buy a bunch of cherries or buy a bunch of apples it's like no this does not happen like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well so you're sourcing them i mean you're finding also you have to buy in great quantity too yes 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 i mean those are all systems with companies that we know that we go into all the time and we know how they treat their people too. So when you think about the supply chain, it goes all the way to my customers, to my companies that I supply, and it goes all the way back to my suppliers. So it, it it's all about really, I mean, in everything you're saying, again, we're going back to what's your purpose, you know, what what's your plan And what are you going, you may be giving up what you think is security, but the other part of that too, Paula, is you may be giving up security and you're keeping the the money and the income coming, but it could affect your health, right? It could affect your mental health, your physical health. It's, it's so easy to lose yourself in jobs and money and the ego that, comes with some of these roles and some of these companies and some of uh, just how you can become so inflated and lose, lose touch with what your real purpose is. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very fortunate. I've I've worked with so many great teachers and consultants and worked with a great company called McDonald's and and Yum Brands and I've learned from them, you know, through through relationships that you know, don't for, ever forget who you are, you know, and the, the end of the day, McDonald's makes hamburgers, you know, Pizza Hut makes pizza. I mean, these are foods that just very genuine, down-to-earth, common people eat every day. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps us in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we had talked during the pandemic about how a lot of the fast food chains were limiting their menu just to a few things. Are they still doing that or are they more expansive now? No, I would, I will tell you, Patricia, it is still being carefully, carefully watched. Mm. And it is not, uh, I don't, I don't see it lifting for any time soon. I'll tell you why. It's a very difficult thing still to get a lot of supplies. There's still shortages, 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 shortages everywhere. Now, it's not like, oh, goodbye, we don't stock that anymore. We're finding people that we can buy things from. Mm-hmm. But the lead times, you know, it's instead of a week, it's six months. Instead of, you know, yeah. instead of two days, it's yeah. four months. Um, so I think as long as the ingredients and the food is short, I think as long as the people are short, you're not going to see these companies open up their dining rooms again. You're not going to see them you know, really go full tilt. I mean, how many of you guys and in the audience and you too, Patricia, how many of you guys have gone to a restaurant lately and sat and waited and waited and waited? Yeah. Doesn't yeah. it? It's happening very frequently, isn't it? It is. And I think the prices are, are higher. And I, I was, I'm, on, I'm, on the, yeah, I'm on the board of my chamber with a man who owns a bakery, a local bakery here. And yeah. he was saying he, it was either sugar or flour some basic ingredient that like tripled. I mean, he like paid so much a pound and like it was tripled. I said, how can you do this? You know, how, how can, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. It's, it's incredible. Mm. And for prices that don't, they're not set. You cannot get a set price from a distributor these days, right, right now. Mm. It's, I will give you a 24-hour price or a four-day price or a three-day price. Mm-hmm. I will not give you a month price. I will not guarantee give you this price and say, when I start your job in four months, it'll be the price. It's changing daily. So the, the bottom line is, Paula, and we have like three minutes left, is you have to be flexible and be creative. So I'm yeah. sure you're finding ways to cut back in other things. Like you said, we don't have as many things to offer because, you know, it's, it's easier if we can just do the few things. So it's being flexible, it's being adaptable, it's being resilient, it's being, and trying to keep your positive attitude as well. Yes. And those are, those are hard to do. You know, when you're looking at, at, at people and they can't run their line and they're getting trouble in trouble with their supervisor. And all I, all I can say is I'm sorry Mm -hmm. when, I can't get the parts there and I can't guarantee them that they're going to come in tomorrow and they're going to run mm-hmm. and through no fault of their own. They have to, you know, they just have to tell me that they can't, you know, they can't do it. 
Right. Except that the quote from Covey, which I actually learned through Bama, where they talk about the emotional bank account, right? Yeah. Where if you have that trust with your customer, they'll stay with you, even through the hard times, because they trust you and believe in you. Yes. And that's what you've done. I mean, you've been a customer or you've worked with McDonald's for all these years from your father and aunt on. So it's many, many, many years. Yes. It's a, you know, it's very, um, it's, it's very rewarding. Mm -hmm. And if you say, you know, well, are you, are you proud of your success? Are you, you know, do you feel, I honestly, Patricia, the only time I ever look at things like that is when I'm doing something and someone wants a resume and it's like, I'm sitting in the audience and I'm listening to somebody read something about me yeah. and it's, it doesn't even feel and like it. the same it, thing. It, it's like, did I do all that? Yeah. Did I really do that? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That does sound impressive, but it's like you were there every step of the way and you knew the reasons why things turned out like they did for you is because you tried your best to be a good person. And that's the bottom line. And that's, we're going to close on that note. And yeah. Paul will be back in another couple of months. And Paul, it's always so inspirational to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Patricia. Yeah, stay on the line for a minute. All okay. Right, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. You can find Paula at BamaIndustries.com. She also is on Facebook, Paula A. Marshall. And you can find me, Patricia, Ra Patricia Raskin on Facebook, Pat Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. If you're thinking of doing a podcast, I've interviewed 5,000 people, so I'd be happy to help you. I love helping people put together their positive messages. And you can find me at Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com and also sign up for my newsletter. Until next time. Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.